verse number one, Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The title of the message is The Perfect Court of the First Church. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look and see what the first church did and how they were in a perfect unity with one another. But what did they unify over? Right? What did they unify over? What should the church unify over? What should be the main points that we say it is this that we do? Right? So the word in verse number one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The word accord means with one mind, with one passion. Okay, if you look up the word in Webster's 1828 dictionary, it says agreement, harmony of minds, consent or concurrence of opinions or wills. And it actually quotes in Acts chapter one. We'll look at that verse in just a moment. They all continued with one accord in prayer. But then it also uh, goes on with the definition. It says concert, harmony of sounds, the union of different sounds. Okay, or a chord. So play a chord for us. Okay, now just how many fingers did you use? Three. Three fingers. Okay, so just play each of those notes individually. Now, together. That's a chord. A chord is not one. A chord is many that meet together in a very beautiful and nice way in order to accomplish one thing. Right now, I'm not a musician. You guys know that. That's why I asked him to do this. Okay. But I know what a chord is. And of course, the photograph on the screen is someone playing a chord on a guitar. And I'm sure a guitarist could look right at that and say, I know what that chord is. Right. And I don't know what that chord is, but I know what a chord is. Okay. Now play three fingers of something that doesn't go together. Like just make a, make a, make a noise. Now. I'm sure there could that sounded like jazz. Brother, you're just amazing. Try to mess up, please. There it is. All right. All right, brother, thank you so much for your help. You can have a seat. That's great. As an illustration, does that make sense? Okay. So here's something that's amazing about the experience in this first. I really wish the room was full of like 80 people and you could that would have been awesome, brother. You would have crushed that was great. You'd have done a great job no matter what. Um, but we can see the story of the first church here. Okay. And when we look at the book of Acts and we see God doing amazing things in their midst, we can see very quickly is because they were in one accord. They were working together. They agreed on some things. Okay. They weren't all exactly the same person. They weren't all exactly had the same background. Listen, they all had different opinions. Is this not a time in history when the world is divided with opinions constantly? Guys, I know that there are churches 
There are churches that are, that are splitting and people are leaving. Groups of people over something like the vaccine. Now, this isn't, this isn't an, I'm not trying to bring up that discussion. Should it be done? Shouldn't it be done? Should we do the vaccine passport or not? That's just an example of something that people can disagree on. If everybody has to have the same opinion in church in order for it to work, we're in trouble. But we can't all believe different things either. In order for you to accomplish, in order for God to accomplish things in your life, there should be some things that are in harmony. In order for the church together to accomplish things and to grow, there are some things that we need to be in agreement with. So we're going to look at that short list and we're going to pretty much stay in Acts chapter 2. But let's pray and we'll look at the perfect chord of the first church. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to worship you. Thank you for your word. Father, the, the world is divided on many, many things. Politics and COVID-19 and so many opinions abound and everybody is convinced their opinion is correct. Lord, I pray you'd help us to, to come back to the basics of what a church should agree on. Please help me as I preach. Father, help those who may be listening, who may not know for sure that if they died today, they would go to heaven. They've never been saved. Pray the gospel would be clear. I pray that you would accomplish your purpose in this church with this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It says in Acts chapter 1 in verse number 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They were in the upper room for about 10 days They had a prayer meeting for about 10 days. Now, what had happened? Just for some context here, Jesus died on the Passover weekend. He's the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so the crucifixion of Jesus Christ took place on Passover weekend. And we know that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again. It says that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, that's what we know as the gospel or the good news, right? And so we've got to understand that theologically or from God's perspective, what was taking place was that Jesus was fulfilling many prophecies. He was dying for the sins of the world. It was all a part of God's plan. He was completely dead when they took him off the cross. They wound him up. They wound up his dead body and they buried him in a tomb. He was there for three days. And on the morning of the third day, according to scripture, according to the prophecies of the scripture, according to the prophecy of his own word, he rose again from the dead and he declared victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, right? That is the gospel. That is the gospel. 
We've got to understand this from the disciples' perspective, though, right? Yes, they believed that Jesus was the Savior. They believed he was the Redeemer. They believed that he was the Messiah. And even though Jesus tried to explain it to them during his earthly ministry, they really didn't quite understand the whole death thing. (laughs) They were very confused by it. They were shocked by it. And then when it actually began to take place, when Jesus was arrested, and then they realized he was going to be crucified, they were terrified and they ran away. They did not want to be identified with Jesus at all. But then when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? He came back and he found each and every one of them. And like the good shepherd, he goes and he finds his sheep and brings them back unto himself. I feel like that's one thing that God is doing now, kind of, I don't know if we can say post-COVID, but uh, in the uh, aspect of the pandemic where people can now uh, worship together, I feel like the Lord is working in hearts and bringing people back. And sometimes that's a process and they come back slowly, but we know that Jesus is the good shepherd and he will come for us. When we fail him, when we're afraid, when we run off on him, he will come and he will speak to our hearts through circumstances and through his servants and he will come and he will come and get us. And so you can imagine their incredible joy when they realized that Jesus was alive, right? He was alive and he was back among them. And for 40 days, the Bible said, he was there and he was among them. The Bible says he showed himself alive, right? There were many infallible proofs and he showed himself to the disciples and to over 500 brethren at once. The Bible says also in 1 Corinthians Chapter number 15. Well, then they received devastating news once again in Acts chapter number one. And it says in verse number three, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It was like old times. It was fantastic. Jesus was there once again in bodily form, the resurrected Christ teaching And bringing them peace. But then it begins in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. That's really important for us to know nowadays as well, right? It's not for us to know the times or the seasons. It's us just to trust and obey, right? That's why he gives us scripture. And it says in verse eight, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, again, Jesus was crucified. They were devastated. He came back to life. He was resurrected. He showed himself and they were overjoyed and they got to be with him and listen to his teaching and spend time with him. And then all of a sudden, He gives them a short little address and he says, guys, 
I'll come back at the time appointed. Until then, go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and obey the words that I've given you. And then he just goes up to heaven and now they're left without him again. We can kind of see on a human level the emotional kind of roller coaster that they've been on. It would be so easy at this point for the church just to split up. It's over. Once again, our hopes have been dashed. By the way, this list I'm about to get into here in just a moment is something that we as believers must come back to when it seems like we're also on an emotional roller coaster, when it seems like life is going up and down. This is the template, right? This is the perfect cord for the local church. If the, everything in the church is going fantastic, this is the pattern. If everything is going uh, kind of up and down, this is the pattern. This is the pattern. And so they go to the upper room and they do as Christ commanded. And so it says, in chapter number two, the very first thing, and this is kind of an over, uh, this is kind of a, a, a point that kind of covers uh, every single thing until we get into the actual details is they all agreed on Jesus Christ. They were all yielded to Jesus Christ. They all agreed that he was who he said he was. This is something that we preach often here at Sparrow Baptist Church. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This church, the first church, they were all in agreement in believing Jesus was who he said he was. Their opinion about Jesus, their faith in Jesus, their faith in who he was and what he had done for them had not changed. Guys, listen, that is one thing that we have to unify over. We unify over the person of Jesus Christ. We must come back to that foundational point. If you find yourself in an emotional roller coaster or in circumstances in your life, things going up and down, and in the, the, in, in the sense of the church as well, we always come back to Jesus is who he said he is. That must be foundational to the life of faith. God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. He came and he died for us and he loved us and he came to save us from our sin. Him going up to heaven, again, once again, something that he told them he was going to do, uh, but it was something that maybe they were confused about. That was something that, uh, that did not change this foundational truth. We have to agree on this. But also look at this one. And this is really the first point. It says in chapter two and verse one, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Number one, they agreed to meet together. These are going to be really simple points. This is not going to be going back to the Greek and digging out some obscure points. These are things that everybody can just take a pencil, right? And read through chapter two and say, the first church did these things. And they did these things together. And when the church was doing well, these were the things they were doing. 
And then we find later on, as Christianity began to go forward, and other churches began to be uh, started, and they, were, and, and they grew up in other towns, in Antioch, in Ephesus, in Philippi, right? We can read the, the, the letters to these churches later on. These were the things that the apostles and the teachers and the preachers said, hey, new churches, these are the things you ought to be doing. What are the things you ought to be doing? Well, if you look at the epistles, if you look at the uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, it always starts with, number one, this is who Jesus is. It always starts that way. It never starts with, listen, Christians shouldn't be liars. Uh, Christians should be honest. It never says, it never gets into any other thing, but very, very first is this. Jesus Christ is the son of God. We agree on that and he saved us from our sin. Next, the thing is, is like, guys, we've got to meet together. In order for this thing to work, we've got to meet together. We've got to meet together. God does amazing things when we decide to meet together. Matthew 18 and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Satan's plan is always to convince Christians that it's okay for them to be alone. Some people think I'm too strong to need to meet together. Some people think I'm too weak to need to meet together. They think, well, they're too strong. Or they think, they're too weak. I don't want to go to that church. They're too weak, and I'm way more spiritual than they are. The devil doesn't really care what excuse we adopt. Okay? By the way, you can also look at this in the sense of a, of a marriage relationship. The further, the more time we spend apart, the more likelihood that relationship has of it breaking up and becoming weak and frail and fragile. But if we choose to spend quality time together, the better chance that relationship has of going forward and being strong in the future. The same thing's true in the Christian life with, in regards to the church. They agreed, guys, we're going to meet together. We're going to unify over that fact. We're going to meet together. Meeting together is vital. Meeting together is commanded. Meeting together is the consistent example found in scripture. And meeting together is a sacrifice. Guys, is it a sacrifice to meet together? Of course, it's a sacrifice of our time. It's a sacrifice in our priorities. There could be other things that you're doing at this moment, right? And many people around the city and around the world on Sunday morning, Christians, they have a choice to either go to church and meet together or they choose to do other things. But we can see that in the perfect example, in the perfect chord in Acts chapter two of the first church, that God's plan is always to meet together. Remember the promise that Jesus gives. That where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. There are some people whose spiritual life seems to be very dry. It seems, it doesn't seem to, their prayers don't seem to be answered. It seems like the, the reading the Bible seems very dry to them. It seems almost like an academic exercise. 
instead of a spiritual and uh, uh, a spiritual time of nutrition, right? It's not energizing, it's draining. Well, the question is this, are we meeting together? Are we obeying the simple plans? Now, listen, I can go over to the piano and I can bang some notes, right? And I can call it a chord, but you guys would know pretty quick on whether or not it's really a chord or not. Pastor, that's not a chord. You can call it that if you want to, but that's not music. That's noise, right? Listen, there's a lot of people in their spiritual lives. They're calling it Christianity. They're calling it spiritual health, but the comparison is really, it's not a chord. It's really just noise, okay? You may call it art. You may call it music, but really that's not, it's not bringing that sense of harmony. And it's, listen, ultimately, a chord is something that is played because that is what real music is. Somewhere that's written down, okay? So we've got to understand that when we're looking at these things, the peace and the joy and the victory comes because we're on the same page as Christ. And that's the next point is, it's, this is the story of when the church is filled with the Spirit for the first time. Remember, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come. He was going up to heaven, but he said, I will not leave you alone. Remember that? We've been studying that for the past several weeks. Okay? I will not leave you alone. I will send the comforter, right? This is John chapter 13 and 14 and 15. This is the promise of the Spirit. The Spirit is coming now and he's filling the church. Okay? They were filled with the Holy Ghost. It says here in Acts 2, And verse number four, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. This is not meant to be read in a way that is spooky. Okay. And let me get just, let me just touch on a, on a deeper point here. And we kind of talk about this a bit more on Wednesday nights, but we talk about dispensations. Okay. We know what we mean by that term. It means that God deals with the human race in different ways at different times in scripture. We know that when Christ died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, okay, and then he went back up into heaven, this is really kind of the closing of the age of the law of Moses as the way that God primarily relates to the human race. And now it's going to be the age of the church and the age of grace, okay? Grace came by Jesus Christ. That's what scripture says, right? And, and Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter number three about how this is the dispensation or this is the age or this is the, uh, the, the, the new economy that God is dealing with us uh, as, as human beings through the church and through grace. And so if we want to take the time and look, every time the dispensations changed, There was some kind of a miraculous event that took place, right? And that can just be observed throughout scripture. Right now we're talking about Abraham and the time of Abraham and the time of covenant was one of those times when God began to deal with human beings now according to promise. And what was the miracle? What was the miracle that God did at the time of Abraham when he began to change these things? Well, it was the fact that Sarah had a baby when she was 90 years old, right? And then we can look at Moses and say, well, that was another time 
That was another time when things changed and God gave the law to Moses. And so many miracles occurred around the time of Moses. Well, here's another time when things are changing. So when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, we're not talking about speaking in tongues. We're not looking for uh, the description where it says there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. Now, it's hard for us to kind of imagine what's going on here and it would be difficult for me to paint a picture But what we need to understand here is the fact that they were all yielded to God's plan. God, we are here to do what you want us to do. We're here to be in a perfect chord of your wishes. We're here depending on your power for what you want to accomplish. That's something that we can still do. We don't have to worry about replicating the tongues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that tongues will cease. Okay, that was a temporary gift. But when it comes to energizing the church, the church having spiritual energy, your personal life and relationship with Christ, having that spiritual energy and things tracking the way God wants them to track, where does that power come from? Where does the power come from? It comes from us being yielded to God, for us depending on God for that energy, for that power, for that boldness. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need to be in agreement on. The church needs to be in agreement. Look, we are not operating the church on talent. Talent is not the energy that moves us forward, it is not education. That moves the church forward. Now, it's awesome to have talent and it's awesome to have education. But we are depending on God's spirit to move things forward. When we are thinking about what songs to sing in service, there's prayer. God, what direction would you have us go? We need to be in agreement on that. When it comes to the future of the church and making decisions, it's not, well, brother, what do you think? Sister, what do you think? What do we think? No, it's, guys, we need to pray and ask God, God, what do you want? God, what do you think? God, would you guide us and energize us And move us forward. It is not a state of building up ourselves so that now we are these strong believers and we can march forward talking about God. Really, it's us saying, listen, no matter how much we know and no matter how much experience we have, we are dependent and waiting for God to teach us and show us and energize us. This is why we pray. These two things go together. Number one, we've talked about they met together. Number two, they were filled with the spirit. And the next one um, can be interchanged with, uh, we can put the, um, we can put the one where it's talking about uh, being filled with the spirit with prayer. But the next thing that they unified over was the preaching of the word of God was primary. The preaching of the word of God was primary. 
Notice the unity. Now, this is the story where it says in verse number 14, it says, but Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, what is Peter doing? Look at me. What was Peter doing? Now, I'm telling you what, they're blowing heat right now, and that's the, that's the wrong choice because I'm getting sleepy. You guys getting sleepy? That heat feels like, ooh. <laughs> right? What was Peter doing here? After they got the, the power of the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in tongues, they began witnessing, and they began... As a group, they were preaching the gospel. It says here at verse number um, six. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So the entire church was speaking the gospel. And then Peter, the leader, stands up and he preaches. And the sermon goes from verse 14 all the way to verse number 40. And we're not going to read those verses. But he's going back into the Old Testament. The prophet Joel said this, and he begins to preach Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross and how God rose him from the dead, right? And, and all this stuff. And then Peter, after he's preaching the gospel, um, it says in verse number 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or forgiveness of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, I want you to see the results. The results is that they listened to the preaching. The preaching was used by God to change their hearts, and they made a choice based on that message, right? So in, in the first church, what was, what was one of the things that was of primary importance? Well, first of all, they met together. Okay, that was not up for debate. They met together. That was absolutely foundational. Guys, and even under threat, when the government later on, we can say in, in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, okay, they said, listen, we're going to continue to teach and preach Jesus Christ. All right? They met together. The next thing is, listen, they were dependent on God for the power to do what they were supposed to be doing. If we are depending on our own selves, we will fail. You, we cannot be a good Christian. We cannot discipline ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot get better. We cannot, well, I failed, but I'll try harder. The answer is not in trying harder. The answer is coming to God and saying very humbly, I can't do this. I need your help. But then, how is their spiritual strength growing? Well, it's a spirit of 
of, of, of yielding to God. But then next we see, listen, preaching was the most important thing. They were praying and they were preaching. There was preaching and teaching. They were doing it all together. They all had the gift of tongues. And because there was a festival time, there were many people from many different countries that spoke many different languages. So in the case of them saying that they were speaking in tongues, they were saying that they were speaking all of these different languages. And what were they doing with that ability? Telling funny stories? Hmm? Were they mostly telling about their own spiritual experiences? No. They were preaching the gospel. They were preaching, preaching saying, meaning this, proclaiming, telling people, giving people the story. Listen, so many times, listen guys, so many times in our own personal lives, we need God's help. We need his power to overcome something from our past. We need God's help to, to, to overcome some challenge that we're, that we're going through at that moment. And that's true. And that's important. But it all comes down to why does God give us power? Why does God give us power? Why does he want us to have victory over our past? Why does he want us to have power over the challenges today? To bring him glory, that's why. But also that we, so that we can share the gospel to other people. So that we can tell the gospel to other people. Listen, guys, I don't know about you, but whenever there's an opportunity to come up to share the gospel, I get scared. You guys identify with that? That's me. For sure. Pastor, you? Yeah. But your experience and your education, you know what? It doesn't matter. The craziest thoughts go through your head. Yesterday, as a church, we met up and we put flyers in mailboxes. Man, I had crazy thoughts going through my head. Pastor, how'd you do it? Did you just go for it and just kind of make yourself do it? No. Well, how do you do it? How do we do it? Well, you know what really helps? Meeting together really helps. Not going by yourself, knowing that you're not alone, okay? Then two, yielding to the Lord, saying, in my heart, God, listen, I'm not here to accomplish my purpose. I'm here to accomplish your purpose. And I need your help. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit to give me the boldness to give out these invitations and to speak to people with kindness and to not run away scared. It's funny how you can walk down the street and everything's fine, but as soon as the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to give a witness to that person, all of a sudden now we all become scared little children. That's normal. What do we need? What did the church need at this time when they were afraid? They needed God's power. Well, you know what you need in your life? You need God's power. You don't necessarily need more education per se. Because even though you have all of the information, it doesn't, it empowers your flesh. <laughs> Bible says knowledge puffeth up. We need God's help to do God's will work. We need his help. The preaching of the word of God was primary 
Peter's preaching. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, what did they do with these people? They all got saved, these 3,000. Not everybody that was standing there got saved, but 3,000 of them received Christ. What did they do? They baptized them, okay? And then what did, they, what did they do after that? What was the plan for these new believers? What, was the, what is the primary plan for the church? What, what is the major plan for us when we come together? Well, it says in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. Okay? The doctrine, the apostles' doctrine came from Christ. That is the plan. That's the plan for every Christian. That's the plan for this church. That's the plan for every church that wants to be on the same plan as God, to be in harmony with him, to play the same chord as what he wants to play. Let me give this one point and then we'll wrap it up for today. I want you to notice in verse number 37 that when Peter was preaching and he was preaching about Christ, It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's so important for us to accept that the reason why the ultimate purpose in preaching and the reason why God tells churches to place an importance on teaching and preaching is for us to repent. And what does it mean to repent? Seems like such a harsh word. It is not harsh. It's not meant to be harsh. Repent is just the simple meaning of it's meant to change your mind. Teaching and preaching is meant, yes, for instruction, but the difference between teaching and preaching, preaching is meant to be a proclamation of truth with the intent to change. That's why when preachers preach, we use questions, questions for us to think, am I doing that? Is that what I believe? Is that what I've been doing? Is this something that I identify with? Right? And then to say, well, this is what God says. What are you going to do about that? Right? And so, and we'll continue on with this list next week because it's a big list and we don't have time to go through the whole thing today. All right? But we've got to understand that a biblical church, a church that's in harmony with God and the kind of church where we do things the way God wants them done is not just, it's not just preaching to make us feel better or teaching to make us feel more educated or for things for us to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's certainly important. We've got to understand that the purpose for preaching is for God to change us. 
He wants to change us. And the way he changes us is by changing our mind. He changes the way we think through the preaching of his word. Right? We should come to a church asking this question. Do they preach the Bible there? Do they preach the word of God? Do they preach God's words there? Do they preach God's words there? Or is it mostly an echo chamber for the culture? An echo chamber for political opinions? An echo chamber for a particular culture? Very little of the word of God is talked about there. Mostly it's just a cultural center. Was there anything wrong with culture? Of course not. But that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to preach the word of God. This is supposed to be a place where the word of God is proclaimed. It's not to be a place where politics are proclaimed. There's other places for that. This is not a place for opinions to be proclaimed. There are other places for that. So when we come in and we should say, okay, what, what's, what's, is this a place for political opinion? Is this a place that reflects my culture? Is this a place where, 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 where everybody thinks the way I think? Okay, well, um, if we're asking the question, does the church preach the word of God? Then that's a good question. And if that's the way you think, then praise the Lord. That's the right question. We've got to understand the reason why the, the first church was so powerful was because of the priority on preaching and teaching the word of God. That is how God changes our life. Pastor, I've got this problem. Pastor, I've got this issue. Pastor, I feel this way. I feel that way. I feel depressed. I feel overwhelmed. I've got this problem. I've got this problem in my relationship or in my marriage, or I've got this or I've got that. Listen, and, and we think, just tell me what to do. It's like, okay, well, you need to come and listen to the preaching. And what does our flesh say? That's not going to work. Just answer my question. And God says, listen, if you come and hear the preaching, God will help to change your perspective so that you have a different perspective on the challenge you're dealing with. This is how God helps us. God helps us through preaching. Now, we'll get into the point later. The very last verse talks about praising God. And we do that at church as well. And we should worship and praise God. And that's so important. But notice the priority of preaching and how preaching was there. And then later we talk about praising God. Because if the preaching is right, the praising will be right. If the preaching is right, the praising is right. Notice when these guys got saved, they said they continued steadfastly, not in praise. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine because we worship. Listen, John chapter 4, we worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just spirit. It's not just praise. It's also, hey, we worship him in truth. We worship him in truth. For us to praise the Lord when we come together is so incredibly important. But God is praised every single day in our lives when we go out there and our lifestyle and our choices at work and in our homes reflect what his word teaches us 
what we should do. It's living a life that's in an agreement with God. And that can only happen if we come to a church that first, we agree about Jesus. We agree about Jesus, number one, that's foundational. Next thing, hey, we're gonna agree to meet together, okay? We're gonna agree to meet together. Next, we're gonna be yielded to the Lord. We're gonna be looking to him for power and guidance. And then we're gonna agree over preaching. Preaching is foundational. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Let's bow our heads.